Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from... KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we will continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. Now, I was asked a question over the weekend, and I thought it to be an interesting question. (laughs) It is a question that I really don't get that often, and it was, you know, Joe, in your study on the book of Genesis, what is the one thing that you've learned And, you know, I thanked the person who asked me that question because I don't get that question really a whole lot. It's all about questions that are specific to what I'm studying unrelated to my own journey, (laughs) right? So I appreciated that question. As far as the book of Genesis goes, this is a book that I studied, I think it was, what, 98 and 99, uh, at least in its detail, as it relates to what... I have learned the one point that I have gone back on, and and I have to say I've just been surprised by the number of times this has happened, is how often the Hebrew expressions communicate more than one thing. Uh, What do I mean? Well, if you're to go to the name of Eve, it's just not a Hebrew name, but a Hebrew name that means living. So there's these play on words within Uh, the Hebrew language uh, within these Hebrew idioms that reveal so much more. And quite honestly, I have forgotten about some of that. And so re-engaging the book of Genesis, re-engaging the things that we have been talking about, I have been made to appreciate once again the beauty of the Hebrew language. Uh, What else here? You know, when we were talking about Cain, Cain, a play on words, it also can mean I possess or I have gotten. So just as something like Eve also means living and Cain also means I have possessed, what you have in these Hebrew expressions, in these Hebrew play on words, is is deeper meaning. And again, yeah, I have forgotten some of these Hebrew expressions, so it has been good to go back. So to answer the question, what have you learned? Well, what the Hebrew language is about and how we can gain so much more insight in our Christian faith, once we spend more time with the Hebrew, right? One of the things I have been about on Seeds of Truth, just not in our study on the book of Genesis, but really through the years, is that once we come to understand what a word means or what a name means in its original context, in its original meaning, we can then better understand what God is revealing, okay? And of course, I speak of words specific to the inspired Word of God. All right, so thank you for that question. Now, as it relates to our study on the book of Genesis, we are going to be in chapter 7. So if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter 7, and I am going to go ahead and read verses 6 to 24. 6 to 24. And another question I have also received before I jump into this is translation. What translation do you use? Um, I have found that the uh, RSV the Revised Standard Version of the King James probably does the best job of translating 
the Hebrew and the Greek. And that does not mean you need to go out and get a new Bible if you have the NIV or the New Jerusalem. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is in the RSV, you probably um, have the best translation. Okay, Noah, Genesis chapter 7, verses 6 to 24. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the cattle according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every bird of every sort. They went into the ark with Noah two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And they that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily upon the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, birds, cattle, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm upon the earth, and every man, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Okay, so before we uh, jump in, I think, to the larger question I want to handle today, which is just the authenticity of the flood I wanted to speak to a few details as relates to what I just read. First of all, that phrase in verse 11, the great deep. So here we have uh, the floodwaters being pictured as surging up from the subterranean ocean below and really then pouring down through openings in the solid firmament above. Uh, Verse 19, mountains uh, covered. Uh, These words echo what? Does this not recall the status of the earth in the beginning before God called back the waters on the third day of creation? If you were to go back into Genesis chapter 1 verse 9, what do you find there but this very same language used? Why do we have this same language being used? Well, what did we talk about last week? Here in the narrative of the flood, you have a a recapitulation of creation. And by that I mean what happens again, right? We have a kind of 
second creation, if you will, in the flood narrative. And certainly Moses, if he is in fact the author of Genesis, wishes to echo uh, the creation narrative as he's writing the flood. So mountains covered, uh, recalling the status of the earth in the beginning. And he's doing this because, in essence, he wants the reader to see what? That there was a new beginning, a new beginning. How about uh, verse 20? Um, The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. So here, if we were to do the math, the waters rise nearly 23 feet above the mountaintops. So besides stressing the extent of divine judgment, the author here also wants us to see that God's provision to keep the ark from running aground on the submerged peaks is accounted for. Okay, remember again what I talked about last week as it relates to God being attentive to the detail, right? God is attentive to the finest detail. I think the church fathers speak to that as we'll get to here in a bit. And what about, of course, those all-important closing verses, especially verse 21, all flesh died. All flesh died. Brothers and sisters, the flood (laughs) is a universal disaster, drowning out the entire population of man minus the household of eight, right? And as God drowns out the entire population of man, he does so along with every beast and bird of the earth that was not on board the ark. So the only land-dwelling creatures to escape the waters of judgment are aboard the ark. That is what the author wants us to see. Okay, we'll get into more of these details, but as we do, I want to put it in the context of the much larger, bigger question about the narrative, and certainly one I have received on more than one occasion about the narrative itself and its authenticity. Did the flood narrative actually happen? I'm not going to get into all of the ancient uh, traction to this and so far as different traditions. What I want to do is just go to the New Testament itself, which refers to Noah as an event that took place in history. And then we'll consider some church fathers. So what about those passages? Well, if you have your Bibles at, go to Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39. And we read there, As in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Even till that day in which Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not till the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So, (laughs) in these words, Christ regards the flood with its circumstances as being not less real than the last days, will be of which he speaks of in this passage, huh? I mean, think about that. Here you have Jesus Christ talking about the last days in which he will come upon the earth, and he echoes Noah. And of course, his point is, to the very last second, 
until I come, what will man be doing? Eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage. They will be saturated in their sin, and as such, they will not care. They, they will have no regard for what is actually taking place because they have created this false world. And I believe that to be so important, my friends, as it relates to the narrative of Noah itself. That even unto the day they were carrying on, right, with no real care for what was going on around them. There is a deeper spiritual point about this. And you can apply this to our everyday life. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things that we have to be attentive to. If we are so saturated in our sin, we will not see the person on the periphery, on the margins, because we're so busy looking at self. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You know not the day nor the hour when I will come. Be vigilant. Be sober. For I will come like a thief in the night. So, again, Christ uses the narrative of Noah to make a very important point about his second coming. So, my dear friends, we should heed not only this passage, but the importance of the narrative of Noah. Luke also records more or less uh, the same words in chapter 17, verses 26 to 27. How about the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, where the inspired writer is not less clear about the historicity of the flood. What do we read there? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith. Of the righteousness which comes by faith. So here... The letter to the Hebrews, and we believe it to be St. Paul, but we're not certain if it is St. Paul, he's wanting us to see that Noah has acquired righteousness, which comes by faith. So on one hand, we receive faith in the sacrament of baptism. And so in baptism, we have received the gift of righteousness. But what does it mean to become righteous? Is it a situation where in baptism, we have been made righteous and we don't have to do anything to be saved? No. You have heard me talk about this a great deal. What does Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 say? We work out our salvation in what? Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Yes, faith is first a gift, but it is second an act. And what is the most concrete act and virtue of faith? How do we grow in righteousness? How do we grow in holiness? But in trust, that quintessential principle to any life-giving relationship, trust, right? Could we not say that Noah, when it is all said and done, illustrates so beautifully this act of faith, which is trust? I mean, think about the people mocking him. Think about what he had to endure. Think about what he had to overcome. And yet, in faith, he trusted the Father. He internalized his promise, and he went about following through 
on what God had commanded him. So in Noah, certainly we have an extraordinary example of what it means to trust God and how to become more holy, more righteous in faith. What about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 to 21? We read, Who formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have Jesus himself, the author to the Hebrews, which is probably St. Paul, and then of course here, St. Peter, talking about the flood narrative. Why would they talk about the flood narrative if in fact it never happened? You know, here in this passage from Peter, what is Peter saying? That the flood, the ark, is a type of baptism. Just as Noah's household was saved through the waters of the flood, so is all of man saved through baptism, the waters of baptism, okay? And he's just not drawing upon this allegorically. Certainly, when we talk about this passage, 1 Peter 3, verses 20 to 21, he is saying, yes, <laughs> the ark and what took place in that narrative is a type of what happens in the sacrament of baptism. But as he is saying, it is an allegory of something that has happened. He is not saying the event itself is strictly allegorical, and it's important to make that distinction. Now, as it relates to the historicity of the biblical flood account, the church fathers had something to say here, and I think this is very important, that the earliest Christian thinkers affirmed the flood. Justin Martyr wrote, the whole earth, as the scripture says, was inundated, and the water rose in height 15 cubits above all the mountains. Theophilus, the great patriarch of Antioch, wrote, The flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights, torrents pouring from heaven and from the fountains of the deep breaking up so that the water overtopped every high hill 15 cubits. And thus the race of all men that then was destroyed and those only who were protected were in the ark, they were saved. And these, we have already said, were eight. And of the ark, the remains are to this day to be seen in the Arabian mountains. Isn't that interesting? So Theophilus, who lived from 115 to 185, speaks of the mountain that we're going to talk about here in a bit in the Arabian mountain range. We also have the likes of Tertullian and, and St. Gregory of Nazianzus echoing what Theophilus said there. How about St. John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople in the late 4th century? He wrote concerning the flood, See the precision of Scripture, how it not only taught us the year of the deluge, but also made clear the month and the day. What did we read there, huh? Remember in verse 11? In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. So once again, 
<laughs> we have St. John Chrysostom speaking to the importance of detail. Uh, furthermore, he comments on Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, see the extent of the considerations sacred scripture employs to describing everything in a human manner. It is not that there are random gates in heaven, but rather that it describes everything in terms customary with us, as if to say that the Lord simply gave a direction and immediately the waters obeyed their creator's command, fell out of the heavens on all sides and inundated the whole world. So here, St. John Chrysostom is very much reflecting into the flood narrative with the assumption that what, my friends? It's true. <laughs> it's true. How about the great St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, arguably the greatest church father? He rejected uh, the exclusive allegorical interpretation of the flood, as I was just mentioning, huh? And he says, uh, I suppose that there could not be a flood so great that the water should rise 15 cubits above the highest mountains. Indeed, what took place in the narrative of Genesis chapters 6 to 8 took place. And I believe that to be very important coming to us from St. Augustine. Now, what about these mountains? I had mentioned that there was a mountain noted. Well, if you go down to chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, what do we read there? But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat. Okay, there, Mount Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So that is why Theophilus speaks to, speaks about the Arabian mountains. Okay, we will more or less pick up... Uh, there um, tomorrow evening, and essentially we will be reengaging the very subject matter that we were reflecting with this evening. One of the things that I want to note, my friends, is that when you read the book of Genesis, you do so invoking the presence of the Holy Spirit and getting into those commentaries. Get into the church fathers. See what the great Christian thinkers have been talking about as it relates to the flood narrative. I think what you will discover is just not a deeper understanding of what is going on in the text, but a deeper sense of how to apply this to your personal life. The more time you spend with sacred scripture, the more you're going to see how the inspired word of God calls you to live a life, well, my friends, inspired. Remember, God meets us exactly how he makes us and walks with us exactly as he is. So the book of Genesis is going to speak to you in a very different way that it speaks to me. And it's going to speak to me in a very different way 
that it speaks to maybe my brother, my sister, my wife, my children. Why? Because each and every one of us are sons and daughters of God that have a different past, a different story, different relationships. And God knows what those are all about better than we do. And the only way we are going to really grow in our Christian faith is if we spend time with sacred scripture, spend time with the commentaries, and allow God to move you. And yeah, you know, turn on seeds of truth, (laughs) right? Uh, Engage what we are talking about here. Hopefully questions are getting answered. But if they're not, reach out to me. You know my uh, email address, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Holcraft spelled H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message, send your question on its way, and uh, I will engage your message, your question. So, okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect with your inspired word. And we pray for the grace that uh, you might open both heart and mind to what you desire to reveal to us. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.